for me to best understand this week's scripture passage, I needed to move our reading up a couple of verses. So this is a reading from the book of Luke, chapter 1, but starting on verse 35 and moving through verse 56. The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called Son of God. And now, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month for her who was said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. In those days Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me, that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham, and to his descendants forever. And Mary remained with her about three months, and then returned to her home. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on all of us. Amen. When it became clear that I was going to be preaching on the third Sunday of Advent, the Sunday on which we light the pink candle of joy, I was thrilled to be presented with this section of New Testament gold. Elizabeth and Mary, two women, both great with child bonding and caring for one another. The emotionally stunning Magnificat. It's not that often in our sacred text that we get the chance to explore encounters between two women, especially 
encounters between two women with dialogue. It is also not common for us to witness characters in our sacred story that burst into song. Yet both of these holy signifiers shine forth from the page, like the Advent candles that we just lit, indicating that something unique, something special, something full of Advent joy is present here. However, given these distinctive signifiers... I was remiss at my first reading of this text to see a few things that struck me as odd. Now, I'm not saying the Bible story is wrong here, just that I did not necessarily understand how a few certain pieces fit. As Peter Enns, author of our Dessert and Dialogue Common Reading book, says, when when we open the Bible and read it, We are eavesdropping on an ancient spiritual journey. And so these stories don't always make clear sense to us without further exploration. For instance, I don't buy at all that with Elizabeth being six months pregnant, that Mary invites herself over, moves in for three months, and then leaves right before John the Baptist is born. Three plus six equals what? Nine. Absolutely. Now, I understand that with both of these women expecting their first child, the advent of motherhood was very, very new. But was Mary really that uncomfortable with the idea of birth? Clearly, I thought to myself, this section of the Bible was written by a guy. (laughs) But then I remember that, yes, This was written by a guy, and his name was Luke. Why does Luke mention three months? Well, if Luke was a beloved physician, as Paul claims, he would surely know that the first three months are a most vulnerable time in any pregnancy. Vulnerable now in 2019, and even more so during the time of Elizabeth and Mary a large percentage of miscarriages happen in that first trimester. And many women choose not to share the news of their pregnancy until the first three months have passed. This is indeed holy time. Dr. Luke would also know a thing or two about morning sickness. While everybody is different, morning sickness is most common during those same first three months. Now, for the majority of women, their body adjusts to the rush of changes by the end of the first trimester, and the morning sickness goes away. This has resulted in modern times with the conception of the idea of a baby moon, often taking place during the second trimester, that unique in-between time when the morning sickness is over and mobility is not yet too difficult. It seems that Mary hastens to reach Elizabeth before morning sickness can have a chance to seriously hinder her travels. I wonder if she ends up staying three months because it takes that long before she feels well enough to make the return trip back home. I mean, for many women, morning sickness should be titled 24-7 sickness. Along those lines, author and Lutheran pastor Heidi Newmark, in commenting on this section, writes that in Spanish... 
The term for morning sickness is mala barriga, or evil belly. (laughs) Mary's revolutionary magnificat comes to us out of these three months of mala barriga, a time of churning upheaval in her body and in the social body that she was a part of. We can imagine her anxiety and uncertainty, the gossip swirling around her, leaving her vulnerable to the miscarriage of justice, the threat of community rejection, possibly even death. Now, all this is taking place at Elizabeth's home in Judea, a Roman colony under the rule of Herod, a narcissistic tyrant known for his cruelty and massive building projects, including housing, building palaces, and one enormous wall, which my hunch is all of you traveling to Israel in a few months will have the honor of seeing. Mary's entire world is about to turn, and it was, and it is, enough to give anyone, even us today, a bad case of Mara Bariga. Perhaps it was safer to stay in the sanctuary of Elizabeth's home than it was to risk the dangers of the road. But remain there for three months and still not see the birth of John. Then I remember that it is likely that the author, Luke, also wrote the book, The Acts of the Apostles. And throughout this full body of his storytelling, the phrase three months is always a generative time. For instance, in Acts, Luke tells us that Paul stays in Ephesus for three months and speaks boldly to the people there. Then, Paul stays in Greece for three months of sanctuary, a safe place in the face of violent plots against him. Later, after the ship carrying him to Rome to stand a trial is wrecked in a storm, Paul and his captors stay on the Isle of Malta for three months, another season of sanctuary and preparation for what is to come. And so the very young Mary seeks out her older cousin Elizabeth, who is in her sixth month, looking for safety, sanctuary, a place of preparation and the opportunity to speak boldly during a time when many were against her. We understand that Mary needs Elizabeth, but let us not miss the truth that Elizabeth, too, needs Mary. These miraculous mothers act as foils and complements throughout our reading. Their names establish them as daughters of Israel with shared, illustrious lineage. Elizabeth is married, advanced in years, and has longed for a child. Mary is young only just engaged, and has not longed for a child. By the human standards of the day, neither qualify for motherhood. And yet by divine intervention, both become co-creators with God. But now that we know a little bit more about their time together, other than these leaping babies in the womb moments they share... I wonder what else happened during their three-month sanctuary time together. Well, in just a sister away 
Renowned Hebrew scholar Renita Weems wonders about this special time that Mary and Elizabeth spent together as well. She writes, What the two women talked about, we can only imagine. No doubt they shared stories about the changes their bodies were undergoing. They probably touched one another's protruding bellies and massaged one another's swollen feet. They certainly laughed and cried and reminisced and dreamed. And they most likely imagined the kinds of men their sons would grow up to be. The two women shared with one another things they could have never shared with the men in their lives. They held on to one another for dear life. They were women trying to grapple with the hand of God in their lives, sharing with each other the blessedness and the burdensomeness of being blessed. Two great women, both great with child, great with hope, and because of the time that they spent together, great with joy. One blessing is the answer to prayer, and the other blessing is the acceptance of her mission with all of the mystery, complexity, and uncharted territory that it would bring. Their souls both magnify the Lord and then calls them into song. Which leads us to the second component of this story, singing. Both Elizabeth and Mary here sing with and to one another. Now, Mary's Magnificat has a long-standing reputation throughout all of church history, and certainly echoes back to her spiritual sisters in song, Hannah and Miriam. Of course, only a chapter later, though, in Luke, we have the story of Zechariah, Elizabeth's husband, the father of John the Baptist, who bursts into song after a long silence, indicating that song, especially in this gospel, is important. But I am remiss to say that not long after Mary sings these words that have echoed down throughout history, we do not mu hear much more from her again. According to Luke, her last spoken words are officially in chapter 2 of a Lucan account that remind us all is for both Luke and Acts of the Apostles. For instance, Luke does not place Mary at the crucifixion and does not include her among the women that are named the morning of the resurrection. Mary is present in Jerusalem in that unique in-between time after Jesus' ascension and before Pentecost, the baby moon period of the story, if you will, but still has no speaking role. For Luke, who some scholars feel is a very important gospel because of his inclusion of women throughout the story, leaves both Mary and Elizabeth silent, pretty much once their children are born. And I struggle with this. I struggle that Luke, though yes, including women more often than any other gospel writer, always places the women he writes about in his account in subordinate roles. Throughout his gospel, Luke uses the Greek term doulos, which we heard a couple of times in our reading for today translated as servant or slave to, to describe every female character, while the men are given the more glowing term, disciple. I weep 
for the numerous people in our sacred texts whose voices remain silent. I weep for the people who, through no fault of their own, live in a world where their needs are not met because of their social position. I am remiss to give Luke credit when he silences the women with whom God has chosen to help co-create a new era. And then again, I remember that according to biblical scholar Phyllis Tribble, an inability to speak, the act of being silenced, is a marker of two distinct things in Scripture. First, it is used as a punishment for a lack of belief. Well, clearly that does not work here. Mary, or excuse me, Elizabeth, has been praying for her newfound reality. And Mary, when given the choice, opted in for this sacred motherhood mystery. Which means it must be the second reason, which, according to Tribble, is a sign of the authentication and significance of their faith. Can this text then be read that Elizabeth and Mary speak here, that they sing here and nowhere else in the entire Luke-Acts account because of how vital their story actually is? What if their story is so important not because they're both blessed, but because they're both women? And because they're both modeling the sacred cycle of faith for us all. The way that I've come to read this text is that we encounter two women talking, singing, cherishing their time together, providing a model of church for the rest of eternity. Elizabeth privileges the younger Mary's pregnancy. Elizabeth prioritizes Mary's immediate need for hospitality and sanctuary. Perhaps most importantly, Elizabeth shows a preferential option for Mary's voice and a vision over even her own. The Lord is magnified through Elizabeth's welcome, grace, and deference. And yet the Lord, too, is magnified through Mary's faith in Elizabeth, her trust in the love and the support that she will find there. The underlying story of today, friends, is that we have Elizabeth longing to be a mother, learning how to be a mother, and teaching Mary, who never asked to be a mother, how to be a mother. Mary and Elizabeth mother the future, carry that future together. According to the promise God made to our ancestors, to Abraham, and to their descendants forever. In God's mercy, one generation does need the other. And this is the story of a struggle with joy, the promise of new beginnings, the wonder of family. This model, the model that Elizabeth provides Mary, which Mary provides Jesus, which Jesus provides the church, is the model which the church provides for the entire world. Today, we do not see two women preparing the way of the Lord. We see two women demonstrating, embodying how we should all prepare for the profound things the Holy Spirit is doing with, in, through, and despite of us all. 
allow me to close by sharing a story from Susan Guthrie in her marvelous text, Praying the Hours. Singing the Magnificat at Vespers, I see the just pregnant Mary after she's walked a three-day journey from Galilee to the Judean hills near Jerusalem and entered the house of Elizabeth. Mary observes her cousin's body swollen with life on her aged frame, and while Elizabeth's baby leaps in her womb, Mary suddenly gets it. There, Elizabeth lies upon her mat with swollen feet and ankles, uncomfortable, small back pain, restricted bladder. But now, for Mary, it is real. Now I get it. Now I understand what the angel meant. Now I see the miracle of incarnation. The Lord magnifies my soul so I can perceive this light I bear. Two women, one carrying a child touched by the Holy Spirit who will baptize with water, another carrying the unborn Holy Spirit who will baptize with fire. Two women, carrying the light inside themselves in the time of great darkness. The miracle is not the incarnation of God through the working of the Holy Spirit. The miracle is the ordinary body, yours and mine, carrying this marvelous incarnate light. Ordinary bodies, friends, like yours and like mine. May we all carry that incarnate light with joy. Amen.